We're gone for only 17 weeks down to Stafford, and look what's going on. Amazing. That's so cool. That is great. We hadn't heard that. We're going to be praying for you, Noah, down at Pillar Stafford. Yeah, I'm Ted Vinatieri, one of the three elders, pastors at uh, Pillar Church Stafford, and glad to be here with you opening the Word of God this morning. Um, we're going to ask that uh, in just a moment, I'm going to pray over the children and, and then dismiss any two classes. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for children that you have given that are a heritage from your hand. Oh God, thank you for the hearts and lives that are being transformed. Thank you for our homes, for our parents who love Jesus and are living life on life with Christ and the aroma of him to our children. God, would you bless as they are learning today. Would you bless the brothers and sisters who are opening the word to them. Thank you for effective ministry by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Kids? Any here? Take off. All right. Keep going. Um, secondly, I just want to give a quick update on what's going on down at Stafford. Just 17 weeks ago, we were right here. You guys were praying over us, and uh, we were like scared stiff. What's going to happen? Uh, but praise God. Uh, God is very kind. Um, he's more glorious about himself than he is about us. Here's about his reputation. So um, Pastor Mike Garlam. Pastor Hutch Hutchinson, one of your elders that you released to us and myself. We are the elders down at Pillar Stafford. Things are going really sweet. Um, we have just been having a wonderful time of visitors coming. We've had four baptisms. We have a few that are already wanting to baptize. We just brought in 13 new members a week ago uh, from our original members. So God is blessing in many ways, but numbers aren't important as much as is the ministry of Christ Jesus going from that place. And that's really the only acid test, is Christ being lifted up, and we trust he is, and we covet your guys praying for us as a new church plant in Stafford. Thank you so much for letting us be a part of you and then sending us there. Uh, continue to pray for us. It's, it's going really well. In fact, Colby's down there right now. You're able to let him go for a week so that we could... Uh, be ministered to down there. Well, hey, I'm glad to be here this morning, and we are in the passage, Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 20, this continued series, Gospel Clarity, um, trying to open up the book of Romans, and last week, or a couple weeks ago, Pastor Colby in the last message was in Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, uh, really a kind of a difficult passage, trying to help us see what this whole issue of the good news is based on bad news. And I'm going to finish that up today in verses 9 through 20. How do you understand the amazing weight and depth of God's work in the good news of sending his son, Jesus Christ, to earth and becoming a bloody sacrifice so that we who were full of sin would be made right through the one who had no sin? And that's the gospel. It's a powerful message, but it sounds all good unless we really understand the bad news. And that's what we're going to see here, the finish of it in these verses today. This is not an easy passage. Thanks a lot, Colby, for giving it to me. No. Um, but we're going to look at this, and we're going to try, most importantly, to have it usher us to the good news, which is the gospel. That's where we'll go. So let me read um, verses 9 through 20 in Romans chapter 3, as the writer, to the, apostle, the writer, the apostle Paul, gives us this inspired word of the Holy Spirit, finishing his well-reasoned argument, beginning at verse 9. So then, those who are of faith 
are blessed of God. You know what? Let me just flip. I'm going to read ESV, not NAS. I got my old preaching Bible, NAS, but I got ESV notes here. So let's do that. Okay, verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of the asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. Verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law of God comes the knowledge of sin. Well, we're just going to go kind of verse by verse here, and I want to help you understand the Old Testament background. These are all quotes, most of them from the Psalms. One of them comes from Isaiah. The Apostle Paul is helping Jewish-minded Christian believers in this letter to believers in Rome, who most of them have a Jewish background. He's helping them understand, hey, where you're trying to rest, you think you're good enough, you think you're trying to keep the law, and you're somehow better than non-Jews and Gentiles. And Paul's saying, let me tell you something, guys. You're just as bad off as everybody else who is a non-Jew. All people are under the sentence of sin and death. And that's where we're going to end with this passage. But we're not going to leave it there, folks. We're going to flip this baby, and we're going to see truth. We're going to see the gospel and walk away with some hope, okay? I don't know about you, but uh, this is one of those passages where I've read, you know, I've been a Christian for 70 how many years is that? 40 some odd years. Okay. I got saved right out of high school in 74. And I've walked with Jesus lots of years, ups and downs, struggles and so forth, and read the Bible numerous, numerous times. And this passage is one of those passages where I go, yeah, I, I know it's there. I gloss over these verses. Why? Because it's like, okay, it's negative and it's all about sin. Fine. And maybe you do that in your reading. You know, you're familiar with certain stuff and you kind of gloss over but we're not going to gloss. We're going to go verse by verse here because I think what we have here is this beautiful setup for you and me to appreciate the wonder of what Jesus has done and is doing right now in your lives and where you want to take it as you walk out these doors today. That glorious gospel has got to sing. It's got to have feet. It's got to move and change lives. If it's changed your life, then even this bad news here in Romans 3 is part of singing the gospel beauties to the world around us. Let's look at verse 9. What then? Are, are we Jews any better off than Gentiles? Is what he's getting at. Are the Jews superior to any other religion or any other people group? Just because God calls them his chosen people, does that mean that somehow they get a pass card on sin? Absolutely not. 
And we saw that last, week, last time as Pastor Colby opened up the earlier part of chapter 3. A very interesting reasoned argument there. And there is no way the Jews get off any less than anybody else who's a non-Jew. Religious or irreligious, it doesn't matter. No one is good enough. Every one of us, everyone out there misses the mark of God's perfection, of God's holiness, of his standards for what a human being should be in order to stand with him in his holy glory. None of us gets there. So, okay, he says, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. This pervasive problem of our sinful rebellion is hard to shake off. Comparing our religion, our, the religion we have and our religious practices to other people still won't work. It doesn't matter how sweet your religion is, how amazing you follow your religious convictions, it's still all a problem. It's not good enough. Well, verse 10, as it is written, none is righteous. So we, we now uh, go into Paul quoting some verses here from the Old Testament, from Psalms. None is righteous, no, not one. Here in verses 10 and 11, Paul's quoting from Psalm 14 and also duplicate passage, Psalm 53, verses 1 through 3 in both of them. And the psalm begins with this phrase, and this is what I want us to get hold of. The Psalm 14 and 53 begin with this phrase, The fool speaks from his own heart that there is no God. Now, maybe you read that verse or you've heard that before and you say, Well, I was raised in a Christian home. I didn't embrace Jesus till later, but at least I believe that there was a God. I mean, duh, you know, it's obvious there's a God. You know, you can't see a baby uh, coming to full term and being born and not say there's a miracle. You know, we have all those kinds of reasoned uh, thoughts in our mind. So, of course, to understand there's a God, it's reasonable. No, it's not. Because the passage really says here, each one of us says in our own heart, there is no God. What's he getting at? Actually, every one of us who say there is a God, we can't say there is a true God until that God comes into our heart and gives us a new understanding of him, gives us faith to believe in the true God. The God that we believe in our hearts is our own personally reasoned God that we've made up. And he might look a whole lot like the Jehovah God of the Bible, and he might even have Jesus tacked on there. And it might be a lot of the law of God that we've read over the years, but none of us truly knows the true God until he comes and works in our heart and opens up the blinders from our eyes, opens up our dark heart and puts the new heart in us. And then we can say, oh, this is the God that I thought I knew. It's really the God of Scripture, the God that's revealed to us by God in the new birth. Because all of us are the fool of Psalm 14.1. We quietly in our own hearts, by what we truly believe in, we actually say there is no God. Now, I was a good kid. I grew up in a liberal congregational church in Southern California in the 50s and 60s, right after World War II. And my dad, it was foxhole religion, man. He got saved from the Battle of Leyte over in the South Pacific. And so he gets home, and he's going to have a family and have boys, and he's going to raise them, tell, tell them about God. And so we grew up in that 50s, 60s, Ozzie and Harriet type of thing, you know, if you ever seen the old movies. 
that, that was our background, and we were a good conservative family, and we went to church every Sunday. We polished our shoes every Saturday night. Dad taught us how to do it. In the Navy, this is what you do. I'm Lieutenant JG, and this is what we do. So, okay, that's the religion that we had, and it seemed pretty good. We were nicer than the neighbors down the street. We kept our house better, in better shape. Our car was looking better. Our clothes were a little better. This is what we're good conservative people. Southern California, learning to not get involved with drugs and sex and all that stuff. That was just a false religion, my friends, because there was no true God in that. And I'm afraid it hasn't changed a whole lot. I may be older than 90% of you here, but things haven't changed that much, guys, okay? We still all fake it and pretend and think we have a God that we, we call the God of the Bible. But until he comes and gives us a new understanding, we really don't know the true God. And so we say in our heart, there is no God because the way I lived as that boy in the 50s and 60s, the way my mom and dad lived was as if they were their own gods. I lived as if I my, was my own God. I, I was in Boy Scouts and I was a nice kid and I did the things you know, that we're supposed to do that are nice moral things, but it was my own making. And God owed me something because I was a pretty good kid. I didn't do no premarital sex before I got married in 1979. I was a good guy. Who cares? Because that's not what God is saying about his gospel. No, my heart was dark. And in 500 ways, I had had premarital sex with women in my mind. Okay? And in all kinds of ways, my wife, who was a very, very pure lady still is, <laughs> she was an angry person and hated fellow classmates in her junior high school and threw eggs at the school bus one day, okay? You meet her today and you think, no, nah, that can't be Janine. It's the heart. The fool says in their heart there's no God. We make up a God of our own imagining and we live according to the standards of that God. And my standards all came crashing in 1973 and 74 when my life was just stupid. And I was being stupid and doing some stupid stuff. And God showed me, you're not in charge of anything. And there is no God that's holding you. My friends, that's what we've got to see here. That's what Paul's getting at. How good are you? You're not good enough. Okay, no one understands, no one seeks for God. Verse 11. Verse 12, it goes on as he's quoting Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. All have turned aside together. They become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Man, this reminds us of what Paul told us back in Romans 1 earlier in the study, earlier this year. Romans 1, 18 through 23 we do know who God is. We all know who he is. Paul tells us that, that by the invisible, by, by the, the things that are created out here in the creation, he says, we can understand the invisible attributes of God. We know his character. We know that he's perfect and pure, and he's the master designer. And we even know about his heart of redemption, of trying to buy back brokenness. It, it says that we can understand his invisible attributes by the things that are created. However, he says, we suppress that truth in unrighteousness. You might think you're a good enough person, and you wouldn't really do that. 
I hate to say it, but we suppress it in all kinds of ways. And in fact, like my mom said to me one time, you boys, you just become dumb because you love yourselves so much. That was her way of trying to get us to stop acting stupid as boys. You know, boys are punching and doing all kinds of stuff. And you boys just make yourself stupid because you just care about yourself. Well, she was right. But I expand that to I made myself stupid about the character of God because that which could be known about God in his creation, I already in my self-love, my pursuit of me, put the blinders on. I couldn't see God any whit. Oh, I could read the Bible. I could be told by people who Jesus was and what my sin was. But I couldn't really see it. And my friends, I hate to say it, but the same is true for you. You might have a little bit more clarity than I had. You might know a little bit more and maybe have read the Bible more, but until Jesus comes and takes back the blinders, we're all the same. We're in the same lot. We're broken and we're in need of his change. There's not one good, not even one. Okay, going on, verse 13. I told you guys this is not a fun passage. <laughs> this thing just gets deeper. Okay, verse 13. Now... Uh, I'm sorry, verse uh, 12 and then 13. Uh, Paul then in, uh, is reading from Psalm 14 here again for us. All have turned aside. There's not one. Forgive me. F 13. We're going on. Hello. 13. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. And the venom of asps or vipers is under their lips. He's quoting Psalm 5.9 now. These are all Davidic psalms from uh, David who understood the bittersweet of sin. David, who was the sweet psalmist of God that spoke deeply from his heart. And, and if, you, if you spend time meditating in the Psalms, you'll find out this guy had a heart for God. Man, alive. Some of the stuff that he, he came out with is so rich and beautiful. Whom have I in heaven but you? Beside you I desire nothing on earth. But Psalm, or Psalm 63, you know, when I'm in a desert place, I beheld your glory. I saw you in the sanctuary. You know, this guy, he's got a relationship with God that's amazing. And yet he also, just like me, has a very hard heart that has to be changed. He loved himself so much that he fornicated with many wives, that he committed adultery against his, one of his wives with another woman. He had her husband murdered, and then he lied all about it. This guy? Write psalms? Yeah. Because this guy had something that you and I need. He got a new heart. He got changed. David, the king of Israel, the sweet psalmist. Yeah. He understood the bitterness of sin, and he also understood the sweetness of forgiveness and the blood of Jesus Christ, the Savior he was looking ahead to, as Hebrews 11 tells us he did. Okay, so let's think about this. To show generally all people that their sin is in common areas, Paul brings up the tongue here. He starts going to something real common, okay, that we all struggle with. And we use our tongue for all kinds of things. We speak and say things that really usher from the heart. The tongue through negative speech or by words that deceive, even using flattery. No nice words that really are being used for our own person, personal purposes. Um, all of these things have a motive problem, and it's the heart. Beneath our words, 
we are describing something here, and he talks about the open grave that desires to bring more people down with it. Misery loves company, doesn't it? And oftentimes, we can use our speech to bring people right down into the low place where our heart is right now. <laughs> we want people to kind of enjoy with us where we are because we're unhappy, we're, we're ticked off over something. And he's just telling us, look at what's going on. We even use our tongue to open up the grave of our internal being to want people to be down here slugging it out in the muck with us. I'm not having a good day and ain't nobody going to have a good day that's around me. You ever been around people like that? Maybe you were raised in a home where you had a mom or a dad that acted that way. It wasn't pretty, was it? And all you wanted to do is just get away from it and just kind of nicely stay away. Oh, we had a, an expression in our home, mom's having one of those days, stay away. And she had plenty of those days until Jesus saved her when she was 53 years old and got saved. And then God did a change in her life. That's all of us. To some degree or another, even we use our mouth and our words to draw people in to our little world so they can kind of feel what we're feeling. And it's sad and it's ugly. That's what it's about. The venom of asps of vipers is under their lips. He's quoting Psalm 140 here. The idea is that vipers, yes, they have something more than just the fangs that you see. Vipers, poisonous snakes, have those sacs underneath their fangs. And the poison, which is designed to injure or to disable or even to kill, that poison comes out and it does its job, doesn't it? And Paul is reminding us, quoting this passage, that that's what our hard hearts are all about. That's what the darkness of sin does. Their mouth, verse 14, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. He's quoting from Psalm 10, verse 7. Cursing. You know, it's more than just the idea of dirty words. You know, we use the word, oh, don't curse, as if it's four-letter words. But the idea here is that it's an imprecation. You're calling judgment on somebody. You're, in a sense, saying, God, would you curse that person? It's a prayer for evil to come on someone. Wanting that person to have a bad day. Looking at others and in your own heart. You and I have to say that this is me. <laughs> I do this at times friend of mine just the other day was posting, yeah, this dude comes flying by on 95. This is down by Spotsylvania on a motorcycle weaving. And we're just going, man, that guy's going to get hurt. And about five minutes later, all the traffic was stopped and he was laid out on the pavement. Praise God, he was trying to get himself up. He had just grazed a car. And I know what I've seen many times when people have passed me like that on the interstate. I've thought, Dude, I hope a cop pulls you over or something slows you down. Maybe that something is you get hurt a little bit and teach you something. How wicked is that? How full of me is that? Yeah, I'd love to see your injury just because you encroach some of my space on I-95, buddy. I mean, how stupid. How self-loving is that? But that's kind of where it all goes, isn't it? When we're unbridled like unbelievers are. You're full of curses and bitterness. I'm bringing imprecations down on somebody. Bitterness. Uh, speaking about harshness, about an embittered, resentful spirit. What's behind your fake smile some of the times? You know, as a parent, 
you know, I thought I could kind of cover it with my wife, and some of the time she could figure out if I wasn't having a good day or if I was just pretending. But my daughters became queens at it because they studied mom and dad all the time. And I know one of my girls, one or the other, would say, Dad, you're not having a good day, are you? Oh, what do you mean? I'm fine. You know, uh, I can tell Dad. You know, here I am, a pastor. They're living in my home. I'm supposed to be the guy that, you know, is full of Jesus and loves people all the time, and I'm having a raunchy day. And I can't fake it. My girls could read me better than my wife could, which is fine because it stopped me and shut me up and said, why are you faking? Why are you pretending? What's the smile for? What's beneath it? Oh, God's not giving you what you want today, huh, Ted? And you're not happy. Wow. You and I have got to realize that underneath our veneer that we've often created, ready some of the times to bubble over, is a bitterness because things aren't going our way. And the problem is, you and I have done this from day one. This isn't something new. You and I grew up in a home where we learned how to get around and to get what we wanted by putting on our own fake face, by saying the things that mom or dad or somebody wanted to hear so we could kind of get through. Now, we know as we grow up, ah, that's, that was childish, it was wrong. Okay, but the problem is the pattern runs deep. And it's not so easy to shake that phoniness and that pretending, even as we become Christians. You see, the, the depths of sin run deep. Now, grace is greater, so this is not a bummer. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna look here in a few minutes to the cross. Grace is greater. We've got to recognize darkness and sin run deep. And what make up some of my bad days and what make up some of my sadnesses are just part of that darkness that has run deep in my life, that hasn't been all transformed yet by the gospel of Jesus. So stay with me. I don't want this thing to be a complete bummer. But oh, we got one more here. Verse 15, their feet are swift to shed blood. Quoting Isaiah 59, verses 7 and 8. These three verses, 15, 16, and 17, they're dealing with a person's life and their conduct. And the first thing he's getting at is we kill others who are in competition with us. What? Shedding blood. What's shedding blood? You know what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. If you say, raka, fool, to your neighbor, you've actually murdered him. You know? And again, that's the person on the interstate. Or that's the person at work who's getting more accolades than you, and you know you wrote better reports, and you know that you've been there daily and working hard, and that person's just cherry-picking, and they're getting all the accolades. And it's not a sweet, sweet scene. And you're unhappy, but you're not going to let people know that. But what's going on inside? Man, I wish that person was not in our division. I wish that person was just out of here. I wish that were a non-person. Oh, I wish that person were dead. See what Jesus says? Let's just follow this thing. Let's get real. Let's see it like he sees it. I'm not celebrating that person's life. I'm not saying, God, they're a fellow image bearer. I can't rejoice with them. They did something decent. I don't think they're doing enough to get all the accolades. But you know what? They're a person and I should honor them and respect them. But no, God, because it's not working for me. See how we go with this stuff. This is all stuff from the old life that Jesus has come to free us from. 
Maybe we give a little tidbit of unasked for information about someone else just to kind of take the spotlight off of ourselves, so that others are looking at them and it elevates us. This kind of stuff is pretty rampant in us, I'm afraid. Verse 16, in their paths are ruin and misery. You know, you've kind of laughed along with somebody else when you've heard them say, well, if I'm not having a good day, I might as well take someone down with me and enjoy it with me. And you kind of chuckle nervously. You think, yeah, but that's not too nice. But sadly, there's more truth to that whole thing than we know. And some of the times that's you and me. We just might not say it. But we do that. Why? Because there's this entropy that happens with sin. Okay? It all comes back to me. It started back in Genesis chapter 3 in the garden when Eve and Adam chose to rebel. And the whole thing was, did God really say that? <laughs> Am I that stupid that I can't do my own thinking? <laughs> sure, I can eat the fruit. I'll have knowledge just like God knows. And man, hook, line, and sinker, Eve and Adam took it. And the Bible says that in the same likeness of their sin, you and I do that too. We love to live independently. We love to kind of make our own decisions and kind of get the pat on the back for what we've done. When all along, it was really God that was doing it. He was giving us the wisdom. Well, the way of peace they have not known. What is that way of peace? Man, this is God's own personal attribute of peace, God's shalom. We've heard that benediction from Scripture, now let the peace of God rule in your hearts. So either God's design for peace in us is going to be operating or Satan's goal of enmity so that we don't enjoy the peace of God, that rules. And Paul tells us that Satan's ruling at the time when we are not changed, when we're not converted, when we're not walking in the light of Jesus Christ. And even though I've been saved all these years and I'm having a bad day, I know what light I'm walking in. I'm not, I'm not full of the peace of Christ. I'm worried. I'm fearful. I'm thinking about something. I'm a little agitated about something. Is there peace operating at that time? No. I'm going to fix it somehow. I'm going to get this thing taken care of. No peace, no shalom of God. You see, all of this stuff is all the opposite. There's no fear of God before their eyes, Psalm, Psalm 36, 1. It's an accurate definition as to why we do all this sinning. Because we have lowered God's perfect holiness in our minds. We're working down here. We've lowered the bar so that God doesn't expect so much from us. And God's not as beautiful and perfect and holy as he says he is. I've lowered him down a little bit. Kind of like those big transformers out there on the power lines. You know, if all that power going through those lines that are right over here, going all the way down to Stafford and beyond, if all the power on those lines were just they stuck a, a line right to our house, it would not only fry our toaster, it would fry everything and our house would be blown up, okay? Too much energy. So what do we do? We step it down with transformers, don't we? So that, that smaller canister that's out there on the street close to your home, that's just helping step down the power so that it's more manageable in your home. That's what we do with God. We step down His awesome beauty, power, holiness to make Him more manageable for our little home. Guilty as charged. I do it. Let's get real. 
let's be honest. Because the more we can get real with the bad news, we can then step into the aroma and freshness of the good news. We're going to get there in a minute. Okay, so every verse 18 and uh, 19 and 20, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Verse 20. This is Galatians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul tells us, why is the law out there? The law is not a standard that you and I can ever keep. God knew that. The law is there as a tutor, as a teacher, as a schoolmaster, to just say, there's the cross. There's the cross. You need it because you're a mess. There's the cross. It's a tutor that leads us to Christ. So if any person ever thought one minute that they could be good enough for God, the joke's on them. You know, I don't know if you're like me, but I kind of had the balance scale system when I was a young guy. You know, try to amass all the good works and the good things and the nice stuff so that hopefully it outweighs the stupid stuff and the bad stuff that I had done. And somehow, in the end, it's going to weigh out and God's going to say, hey, Ted, come on in. You're good. That's not God's way. That's not in the Bible. I think that's the way I was taught. That's the way I, I know my Southern California culture was in the 50s and 60s. Be a good person. Work hard. Work on your resume. Uh, do some extra community service stuff. Go to college. Get a wife. Get a nice house. Two cars. You know, don't keep her in the kitchen anymore. Have the actualized Southern California woman of the 70s who's going to work and be a mother and all that stuff. You know, all, whatever our culture says at the moment, we try and imbibe it and say, yeah, that's me. God's saying, no, that's not the perfect picture. The perfect picture is one had to die because your sin is so heavy that nothing can pay. Nothing can even the scale. Not as good and nice a person as you could ever be is good enough. All right, the bad news. Now let's get on to something else here. I want to look at some application here. First of all, here's my first point. If you're writing anything down, write this. Make God's holiness your standard. Make God's holiness your standard, not what other Christians just tolerate. Okay? Make God's holiness your standard, not what Christians around you are tolerating. My friends, I'm afraid we do too much of that. We get comfortable in pillarism here, okay? Cool people at Pillar Church, Pillar Oki, Pillar Jacksonville, and we have our own culture. And so if other Pillarites tolerate this in their life, then cool, I guess I can do it. I'm being a little sarcastic here, okay, guys? Only to just make an illustration here. I love my brothers and sisters at Pillar, okay? Because they're loved by Jesus, and they love Jesus, and they therefore love me. And so I appreciate them. But do we have our own little standards that we've set up in our own Christian life or in the people that we hang around that kind of have dumbed down God's holy standards for our living? I would just urge you to do this. Don't look around for other Christians and figure out what bar they're living by. Okay? Look at Jesus. Absolute holiness, purity. And let him be the standard for your holiness. You know, if you received a little meme from somebody that you know, and you can already kind of tell from it that it's like going to open you to something else, and you're just kind of going, hmm, okay, 
look at Jesus. Don't look at the person that sent it to you. Oh, he goes to church. He's cool. I, I guess it's okay. And then you open it up and you look at it and you go, oh, that's crude. Um, oh, well. And then he laughs later and says, well, you know, you have to get through the crudeness to see how funny it was. Wasn't it funny? And you go, yeah. Instead of saying, you know what? I shouldn't have even opened that up, man. Why'd you send that to me? Ooh, holier than thou. No. No, I, Jesus is pure. Why, why do I want to be entertained with that, man? Okay? It, it, it cuts to everything here, brothers and sisters. What you post on Facebook, what you encourage people to look, what you binge watch on Netflix and you're telling everybody about, well, you have to get through, well, there's two scenes in the first one. It goes from they're sitting in the sofa to, well, you know what the next scene is. But just ignore that, you know. Huh? Guys, okay, I might be the old guy, but you know what? Just because I'm old doesn't mean that I've struggled, haven't struggled with sex and all that kind of stuff for years, okay? Maybe God's helped me to repent and believe more and more in the gospel and cut some of that garbage, but I'm just as immune as anybody else is. All of us are. We cannot tolerate garbage. It's God's holiness that's got to be our standard. Don't look to brothers and sisters. We ought to be able to trust one another. And I'm not saying don't trust brothers and sisters, but don't make them your standard. Just make Jesus' purity your standard. So how do you do that? Okay, I'll just share with you. One thing years ago a friend from Navigators taught me when I was in college, he said, memorize a passage and let that be the standard that you just think everything through. So he didn't tell me what to do, but I got Galatians 2.20. For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, it's not I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life I live by faith now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I get the meme. I'm thinking... Mm, could be funny, or it might be double entendre. I see a word there that my junior high mind says might be one of those double entendre words, you know. Okay, so I'm thinking Christ crucified. Is it worth dragging my Jesus through the muck of this thing if it is not trustworthy? Is it worth it? The life I live by faith now, I live by faith in the Son of God. He, he loved me so much that he gave himself up for me. Do I want to drag him through this right now? Do I want to drag my heart through this? Maybe not. Click. Okay, I'm just saying, guys, take the Scripture and make it useful in your life. Open Scripture up and don't be afraid to trust God that His Holy Spirit will use a passage of Scripture and He'll guide you to an answer, something as simple as, should I look at this or not? He's God. If He's part of the Red Sea... <laughs> and led three million out of bondage, I think he can be the one that guides you to a good meme or not, okay? Are you willing to trust him? Are you willing to say, Jesus, this one's for you? Or are you like me? So often you get lazy and you just go, I can do this. Eh, I don't want to bother God with it, okay? You can't do that. So I urge you, memorize some scripture and let that become a theme that you, you put everything through the grid of that Many scriptures, actually, not just one, but, you know, I'm just citing one that works well for me. Okay, so make God's holiness your standard, not what other Christians tolerate. Secondly, anytime you read scripture, here's the third, second thing I want you to ask is this. How can I get to Christ? Just write this down. How can I get to Christ? So here we were in Romans 3, 
this very kind of dark, hard passage, and if we read this thing and figure out what it's really about, it's like, whoa, it's really got me nailed. Okay, but I want to end there. I don't want to just end at verse 20 and say, God, bring some freshness. Okay, flip it, 180. Everything that's bad, the opposite is everything that is good. Well, who is all good? Let's hear it. Jesus, God, the Savior, okay? So if this is junk here, then just think of the opposite and you'll see Jesus. Uh, let's take just a verse real quick, okay? I know we're getting late here. Just take verse 15 and look at it for a second. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Whoa. Okay, yeah, I've done that. I've wished people dead in my own ways. I've brought imprecations down on people in my own quiet little ways. They wouldn't know it because I'm nice, you know. I get along with everybody, nice outgoing guy, you know. No, that's a lie. I've wished shed blood in people many times. Okay, so I know me, I know my dark heart. I flip it around. Who shed blood because I'm full of it? How did he do it? He did it with me in mind. He hung there and cried out, Father, forgive Ted. He knows not what he's doing. Father, into your hands for Ted, I commit myself. See, my friends, flip everything around and see Jesus. And every time you see his beauty, flip it around and look at what your tendency is, the opposite. That's why you had to die. Okay? Octavius Winslow Years ago in the 1800s, what did he say? It's got to be a sight of sin must be matched with a sight of Jesus. If I'm going to look at my sin for a moment, I have to look at Jesus shedding his blood on the cross for me. And if I look at Jesus and I want to glory in him, I can't not see that glory on the cross without my sin being the reason that got him there. A sight of sin the sight of Jesus. That's what we want, brothers and sisters. Amen? Amen. Okay. And let me just cut some things and we'll go to the last application. Unbelief, unbelief keeps us pretending. Unbelief keeps us pretending. The most of you here today, you've asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, and you have felt the power of his new birth in your life. That's why you're here. That's why we were singing his praises a few minutes ago. You want to be holy like your Father in heaven is holy. And you're grateful to see that this bad stuff in Romans 3 is not you anymore, or not fully characteristic of you. Yeah, the residue is still there. The old strands of some of that stuff still pop up a lot. But wow, God's done a work, hasn't he? Okay, less and less is your identity now, that Romans 3 junk. So you take seriously the pattern of holiness of verses 19 and 20. He calls us to a life of accountability. Yet still, you sin. Still, there are times when you turn back to the old pathway of bitterness that we saw here in Romans 3. To stir the pot, to dig at someone who's hurt you and to kind of get back somehow. Maybe you find it easy to like others, but there's that one that you wish you had never, ever met. You can handle all the rest, but that one, nobody really likes her, you know. So like verse 15, you treat that person as if he or she were just a non-person and you wish that they're dead. 
Or maybe you dabble a little bit in the crude and you say, hey, I'm around this kind of garbage talk all day long where I work. You know, I could talk a whole lot worse. You should be thankful you don't hear what I have to hear. See what we've done. We've brought it all down, haven't we? We've lowered the bar. But Jesus, Jesus says, that's unbelief. That's just not trying me out. That's, not, that's just not coming to me and saying, this one who hung and died for me has everything I need. It's not practicing the truth of the good news that's found in Jesus. We digress back to the old paths rather than stay in the freshness of the good news. We need to bolster our hearts by faith, brothers and sisters, because unbelief keeps us pretending, but belief, what does belief do? It takes us back to Jesus. Think of the words that we just sang. What patience would wait as we constantly roam? What, what father, so tender, is always calling us home? He welcomes the weakest. That's me. I'm weak. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest. Yeah, my mind, it can do that. The poor, yeah, poor in spirit, full of me. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. What riches of kindness he lavished on us. His blood was the payment his life was the cost. We stood neath a debt that we could never afford. Our sins, they are many. What's the rest? Let's say it again. His mercy is more. What's mercy? One, hanging on the cross for many who don't deserve it. What's mercy? Giving us what we don't deserve. What's mercy? Bringing us here this morning and saying, I love you in spite of you. What's mercy? You going to people that you're struggling with in your life and saying in your heart, I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you with a love outside of me. I'm going to love you with a love that comes from Calvary. My friends, that's what God's calling us to. Amen? Now, if you don't have that love as I leave here, I can't walk out of here without saying this. You are missing everything if you don't know this Jesus, this merciful Savior as your own personal Savior. I'm asking you to ask that question deep down in you. Have you played the game that I used to play, the religion thing, the scale? You know, the better, gift, better works are going to outweigh the, the worse. Do you play that game? Do you think one day, I'll, well, I'll get real serious about this. I'll, I'll eventually. My friend, you can't do that. Jesus is calling you to believe on him for your salvation, to be rid of your sin by the blood that he shed on Calvary. Your sins, they are many. Now is his mercy more for you? As we leave here today, please, I ask you, I urge you, don't let this day go by without getting right with God through Jesus Christ. Hey, let's pray together. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your amazing mercy to us through your blood shed for us. Thank you for kind of taking us uh, to the closet today and showing us a bit more about ourselves. And we don't want to end there, Jesus. We want to see that you have covered it all. Your blood has paid the price. Thank you, Jesus. Bless us now as we continue to worship. We pray in his name. Amen.